0: Hey there, thanks for joining us. This podcast is put out into the world by Living Water Community Church, located in Ypsilanti, Michigan. I'm Pastor Clark Cawthorn. If you'd like to know more about Living Water, or if you'd like to drop us a note, or if you've got a question, or if you'd like to have us pray for you, head on over to lw-cc.org. Now, let's join today's podcast in progress. So I'm going to be preaching, God willing, for this message and three subsequent sermons. Uh, And I'm going to be preaching uh, upon the character of Moses. Do do you know that that guy? You know, Moses? Presumably, you've had sermons in the last 12 12 weeks running up to this point on Moses, right? No? I mean, that's always a risk, isn't it? You know, because, you know, you just don't know. Uh, but I can identify with Moses for many reasons. The principal one is I know what it's like to wander around in circles in the wilderness of life. I don't know whether you can, you can identify with, uh, with both me and Moses in that. Maybe we'll touch upon that uh, in the next, uh, next week or two. Um, but before we read from God's word, uh, from Exodus, of course, uh, let's just bow our heads and have a prayer together, shall we? Dear loving God and Heavenly Father, we want to bless you and thank you for your Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit to us, and we bless you today for your sovereign word. Lord, we trust you. Help us in our daily lives to honour you rightly. Please, as we read from your word and your word is proclaimed, may it be proclaimed in love and in truth, and may it not return to you empty but accomplish all that you have purposed for it to do. We're asking for your help and your blessing now. We're praying in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. And one thing I've forgotten to do, I knew there'd be something, there'd probably be many things, but uh, I need to bring to you the greetings of the church in Dalkeith. Is that all right? I've done that. Sorry. <laughs> but they, they send their love to you. Uh, and I'm sure they're doing their best to, to look after your pastor and his wife. Uh, I think it's uh, also fitting publicly to thank Callie for uh, vacating her home for us. Uh, so thank you. Um, we try not to leave it too dirty for you to clear up. afterwards. So from God's word then, uh, Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all all that generation died, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous, so that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become much too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies." Fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithon and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with hard labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shifra and Pure, when you help the Hebrew women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stall, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. I don't know whether you've seen the, the Hollywood blockbuster, uh, The Prince of Egypt. Have you seen the film? It kind of skips over a lot of the detail that's there in Exodus chapter 1, isn't it? But, it, but it, it's foundational. It sets the scene for all that is to follow. Everything was good for the Israelites, Subsequent to Jacob and, and Joseph in, in Egypt. And there was, it was plenty in the land and, and life was good. Maybe that describes how it is for you and me today. Life is good. There's plenty to go around. But life is kind of bumpy, isn't it? Which reminds me of some of your potholes around here. <laughs> I'm kind of glad on Pastor Clark's car that that he's got high-profile tires, you know. Uh, So I've still got a spine that works. You know, life was bumpy here now in Egypt for the Israelites because upon the throne in Egypt, there is a new king, a pharaoh, who didn't know now anything whatsoever about this Joseph character from a bygone generation. And the Israelites, well they're kind of uh, kind of multiplying, and something's got to be done because they're a threat, and there's a great deal of suspicion that the Egyptians now have for the Israelites. They just don't understand them. Remember, the Israelites were shepherds, right? Remember that? And if there was one thing that Egyptians didn't like, it was shepherds, you know? So there was suspicion, and that soon led to... Hatred and hatred to the murder. And things had turned in Egypt now for the Israelites. Things were not good anymore. The good life had given way to a very bad life. Life can be like that, can't it? You hit a pothole, right? And all of a sudden, everything changes. The wheels have fallen off. How long can I string this metaphor? The wheels have fallen off for, for Israel in Egypt. The Egyptians hated them. And we're told that they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter. Verse 14, chapter 1. They made The Egyptians made the lives of the Israelites bitter. Just let that word kind of sink in for a moment. They made their lives bitter. You can kind of taste that word, can't you? It kind of does something to the senses, doesn't it? They made their lives bitter. With all kinds of work in the fields, in all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. Can you and I identify with the Israelites, maybe in some way? Maybe not right now. Maybe life is good right now for you, but maybe at a previous time in your experience and mine, we've known what it is to be worked hard. There'd be bitterness in relationships, maybe in the workplace, maybe in the school. Someone you don't get on with makes life really hard for you. It could be a spouse, right? Because things break down, don't they? Things go south. And here, now, in Egypt, under this new pharaoh, king of Egypt, life is bitter with no hint of sweetness. It's easy to trust God in the good times of life, isn't it? Isn't it? You know, when the sun's shining and it's not humid, Maybe you're in a different state, I don't know. It's easy then to, to wear the T-shirt, the wristband, the headscarf, whatever it may be, the bumper sticker on the car. It's easy when things are going well in your Egypt and mine. But when things go south and life turns upon maybe some bad news from the doctor, maybe when the door slams at home, and your spouse walks out. Maybe then it's not quite so easy to trust God that you sing about on a Sunday morning. If you remember nothing else from what I have to say this morning, I want you to remember this. Ready? God is still on the lookout for people who will trust him wholeheartedly through difficult times are you and I, that person. That person who will trust him when things go pear-shaped. you have that saying over here? You don't? There's something you've learned, right? When things go pear-shaped, yeah, you know, things bottom out. It, you know, it's... I knew this cross the pond thing would be a challenge, right? It's difficult being an Englishman in Scotland. right? You need to pray for your pastor over in (laughs) Dalkeitha. God is still on the lookout for women and men and boys and girls who will trust him when things don't work out well. When life was once good, but now it's kind of got a bitter taste to it. And you know that bitterness can take on many different kind of forms, can't it? You know, the finances are gone. The promises made, well, they're taking a hike too. You know, when that contract that you pinned all of your hopes and dreams and your future upon is kind of taken away from you and given to somebody else. You know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. When life gets bitter, and it's hard, and everything seems an uphill challenge. You know that kind of deal? I don't think any one of us, I could be wrong, I don't really know you, wish I did, but I don't know that you and I can really appreciate what the Israelites had to endure in Egypt under this new king. I mean, imagine being at the mercy of the slave master taskmaster with that whip upon your back and the the sun beating down hard and heavy upon your your head. And there's no hope. It's just relentless work. A thankless task. They didn't care whether you lived or whether you died. Things went pear-shaped for Israel. But come on, where's God in all this? Another thing you need to remember from this message this morning. Difficult times do not erase God's promises, right? He's the unchanging God. Same, remember, yesterday, today, forever. He hasn't changed. He's not left you as orphans, right? He still loves you. He's still with you. He still cares for you. Still concerned about you when things are good and when things are not so good. There's a, a wonderful verse you'll be familiar with, no doubt, in Romans eight twenty-eight. Do you remember that verse? As it goes, something like, "All things work together for the good of those who love God, who have been called according to His purpose." Right? God hasn't changed; His purposes will prevail. But life isn't always a bed of roses, now, is it? God is still on the lookout for people who will trust Him even through difficult times. It's when things get tough that we lean more, more heavy upon the Lord, isn't that right? You know, when do you and I, when do we find ourselves praying most urgently to God? not it, it, It's not when the sun's beating down, is it? it, it it's when it's when the storms come in. And sometimes God does permit these storms into our experience so that we will trust him more and that our faith will grow deeper and that we'll look to him and not to ourselves. Why? Because we've come to the end of who we are, our resources. Someone once wrote, you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until you know that Jesus is all you have And sometimes God allows adversity into our experience in order that that might be proven in our own lives. In fact, didn't Jesus say on one occasion to his followers, in this world you will have trouble? That sounds a bit like a promise to me. So we can either accept the trial or we can kind of deny it or we can refuse to accept it. I think the Lord would have us in his mercy and love and grace just accept the trial because that demonstrates a spiritual maturity in us, doesn't it? You know, when when we can look at the trial, but not just see that, but see the God who is over the trial, you know, because God is bigger than it all. And his purposes are being worked out all the while. So, The Israelites are not having a good time. There's a new king upon the throne, and he's working them real hard. I can't help but read Exodus chapter 1 without thinking of the Christmas story, uh, the birth of Christ, because there are so many parallels here. Here we have a cruel evil king upon Egypt's throne who would have every baby boy born to an Israelite mother murdered. The slaughter of the innocents. Doesn't that make an appearance in the Christmas story? I don't know whether it's ever occurred to you before. It kind of really just hit me a few days ago uh, rereading this passage but, but how prominent women are in this Portion of Scripture. The only male, I mean, apart from Joseph and, and his brothers and, and Jacob, I know that's a few, but <laughs> you, know, you know, following on from them, it's, it's, it's women there that are at center stage. God values women so highly, so highly. I mean, there wouldn't be a Christmas story without woman, would there? I mean, let's, let's be honest, you know. Um, and on Resurrection Sunday, wasn't it, you know, women? Just you know, don't miss that, the importance of women in this text. And, and here we have the, these two midwives. I mean, can you imagine their job subsequent to the decree of Pharaoh? You know, you've you got to put to death every male-born Israelite baby. I mean, can you imagine you going into work on Monday morning and having such, a, such an order given to you? I mean, that's a bit of a gear shift, isn't it? Right there. My, my mind kind of does a few cartwheels when I, when I read about these midwives and their job and, and the birthing stall. I mean, can you imagine? These midwives were pro-life, weren't they? And God honors them. Because they honored him. Don't miss that. God honors those who honor him. So, as we go through this text, it's a bit like a roller coaster. Oh, I want you to see this. You know, things are good, so that's kind of going up, right? You have roller coasters in Michigan, don't you? You familiar with the roller coaster? You know, th- th- things are on the up, and then all of a sudden, The text takes a a dramatic plunge south, right? And and then with the the beginning of of chapter 2, with the word now, the, the roller coaster is again on the up, right? Because there's hope. And here we see two Israelites, a married couple, Levites, a man and a woman of faith in God who are prepared to trust God, even though the times are very difficult. A man and a woman. A married couple seek to honor God rather than Pharaoh. A Levite woman becomes pregnant, gives birth to a son, And when she sees him, she realizes that her boy is no ordinary child. Surely that's the case for every mum, right? (laughs) You know? It's my boy. It's my girl. Special, unique, right? And rightly so. But there, there must have been something about Moses. I don't know what it was. And the narrator doesn't especially put, his finger on what it was, but maybe, you know, in, in, the, in the spirit, you know, you kind of sense that, you know, in, in your spirit sometimes, you know, God speaks to you. you know, maybe there was just something here in that moment. She realizes that her son is, is a special child. And I want you to just kind of try to enter into the world of, of this married couple here. These two Israelites, in Egypt, under Pharaoh's edict. Can you imagine what it must have been like? I mean, they're an Israelite couple, a couple of faith in God, and and yet their son is is, is born into this. I want to tell you something else this morning. With God, there's no such thing as an accident, right? Right? And, and if you combine this with, with the actions of the, of the midwives, just a, a few verses on, in "God loves kids, don't you? God really loves kids." There's no such thing as an accident in God's economy. And I don't know, maybe you've, you've grown up being told that you were an afterthought. Maybe someone had the audacity to tell you you were an accident. I don't know. But with God, there's no such thing. If anyone was born after midnight, it was, it was this little guy, Moses, right? And his parents, I'm guessing, that they have next to nothing. They have one another. And they have faith in God. And for them, God is on the throne, not Pharaoh. And they are trusting God for right now. And so they devise a plan. In faith, they devise a plan. No doubt they would have prayed hard. You'd do, you do that, wouldn't you? You'd pray real hard. No doubt they prayed real hard, and they put their their faith into action. There's there's an old uh, Latin American proverb, uh, proverb I gather. It goes something like this: If you're going to pray for rain, make sure you take an umbrella. All right? I mean, th- these this married couple in in Egypt they they, they packed an umbrella. You know, they prayed for rain. They took an umbrella out with them. They prayed in faith concerning their boy. Little boy, under three months of age, it's a bit difficult to conceal. The little one, right? But they do their best, and, and they work it out together. And it must have been horrific for them to, to plan what they did. But when they can hide him no longer, Moses' mum makes for him An ark. That's what the original text says. Moses was built an ark by his mum. It's the only time that that word ark is used outside of the Noah account. And you know the story. We read it. Moses is plucked out from the water, isn't he? Can you see jumping forward a few weeks, you know, how how the Israelites will be plucked out of the water also? Do do you see these, these things? So this is Moses' baptism, isn't it? Just as, just as, as Noah's baptism was in the ark, and, and has anybody here been baptized? Just amazing how God is overseeing all of this. You know I imagine it, I can only believe that, that God put it into the heart of, of this married couple to, to do what they did for their son. Having put into the bullries. you know, as, as a kid growing up, I kind of thought, yeah, Mo- Moses' parents kind of threw this uh, through this basket out into the middle of the Nile, you know, and it kind of did this going down the downstream. But it was into the bulrushes that this little ark that Moses was placed in as a baby uh, was ultimately found by uh, Pharaoh's daughter. But Over it all, God is there just just working it all out. I mean, I mean, just it's a miracle, isn't it? It's a miracle of salvation. I mean, Moses lying there as a baby in this little ark was as good as dead, wasn't he? But God is sovereign over all things. And he's working his purposes out through this married couple under the king's decree in Egypt. Against all the odds, when they must have thought it was finished. When they come to the end of their own resources, when they had no hope beyond or outside of themselves, their faith was was honoured. God rewards them. And their boy... Is given back to them. It reminds me of, uh, of Genesis chapter 11. Know the story? Another woman in the story is Miriam, Moses' sister. So Miriam is there and, you know, can you imagine the times that they would have rehearsed this as a family? You know, what, what we're going to do and when we're going to do it and, and how it's all going to go down and, Miriam, Miriam kind of comes up with her line, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? It's an audacious plan, isn't it? It could have gone pear-shaped, couldn't it? But they prayed, they trusted God, and they took action. And they left the outcome to God. God is still in the business today of looking for women and men and boys and girls who will wholeheartedly trust Him in difficult circumstances. It was dark in Egypt. Things couldn't really have got any darker than they were. And yet, God is sovereign. when faith is put into action and the outcome is left to God, miracles happen. Some of you guys are going on a trip, aren't you? Maybe you can trust God in the same kind of way that this young family did.